Chris, would you close that door? Now, we're not trying to keep people out. We're trying to keep the air in. And when we open that air, when we open that door, all the air conditioning goes whoosh right out there. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here. We bless you in every way. And uh, we are doing a series called Living in God's Abundant Overflow. Anybody want to do that? Yeah? Anybody want to live in God's Abundant? I want to live in God's Abundant Overflow. Come on, right? Exactly. So we want to welcome all you all watching by live stream. We're very glad you're here. We're very honored to have you. If you would do us a favor and share the stream, we would be grateful for that very, very much. Let some other people hear about the good news. And so here we go. You ready? Say it with me. I was not created for the good life. What? Say this. I was created for the better life. God created us not just for the good life, but for the better life. The good life looks like this, looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. But how many knows you can look good, feel good, and have the goods and still be miserable? Anybody know that? Nothing wrong with looking good, feeling good, and having the goods, but God created us for something better. He created us to live a life that, come, that, that carries certainty. He created us for a life that carries security. He created us for a life that carries joy and carries courage. That's how we were created. It's a better life. It's not just the good life. It's the better life. Anybody with me? Yes. What is it? It's an overflowing power. Of lo- it's an overflowing life of power, of love and soundness of mind comes from the verse, God has not given us a spirit of fear. This word soundness of mind is a Greek word called saffron, not saffron, saffron, right? <laughs> and it means to live from the inside out. So God's created us to live from his spirit. He's created us to live from what he places within our hearts and the power that he gives us. Another way of saying it is, is to live a life that is unaffected by circumstances. How about that one, huh? To live a life that is unaffected by circumstances. Paul said, none of these things move me, for I do not count my life dear to myself, only that I may finish the race. Wouldn't it be great to reach a place where nothing moves you, right? Will you have such a depth of security that nothing moves you? You have such a depth of confidence and joy that nothing moves you? You have such a depth of courage that nothing moves you? Nothing moves you. So God has called us, and so if, if, when the Bible tells us that we can have something, It's not making empty promises. It's saying it's obtainable. When God makes a promise to us or he tells us that he's inviting us into the potential, he's inviting us into the discovery of something that he has for us. He has a life, this word saffron. We we have that ability because he said we can have it, to live a life that is based upon what, what he puts in us internally and not something that's governed by the outward, that our insides affect our outsides and our outsides don't affect our insides. You know what I'm saying? Most of, the, most of the time, the stuff that affects us internally is because it's something going on externally. We start freaking out because of something externally, you know, whatever. But God has designed us to be this way. So here's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15. Jesus included everyone in his death. So Jesus died for everyone. God so loved the whole world that he gave his son. Jesus died for the whole world so that all could receive a new life. While Jesus paid the price for everybody, not everybody's saved. Jesus' payment and Jesus' offer and Jesus giving his life away enables man and grants man the potential, mankind the potential to return to him. So Jesus dies for the whole world in order for others to receive a new life. 
What kind of life is he talking about? This is 2 Corinthians 5.15 in the message. A resurrected life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A resurrected life. The old you, the new you. Up off the ground, up on your feet kind of thing. Not a resuscitated life, a resurrected life. A life that is far better than people have ever lived upon their own. So Jesus calls us to himself. He paid the price in order that we could receive from him new life. And the life that God wants us to live through and with him is a life far better than we can live on our own. So if you can get the implication there, even Christians, they live life on their own. Born-again believers love God, got Jesus in their heart, but, you know, they just kind of do their own thing. They go off and do their own thing. They live their life to the majority by their own will or their own way. They don't live their life in him. A fully integrated life is what creates the overflow. Integrated. Jesus is part of everything. Jesus is everything. The Holy Spirit is everything. In him we live, move, and have our being. He is an absolute functioning process, part of everything we do. Part of our marriages, part of our homes, part of our money, part of our, our future, part of our families, everything. Jesus is everything. Everything. That's not like a religious thing. It, means that he, it just means he's involved. Right? It's a lifestyle. It's a kingdom lifestyle. Romans says, you've not received a spirit that makes you slaves. So when you become born again, Jesus puts his spirit inside of you. How beautiful is that? You have the spirit of God inside of you. The spirit of God comes into the believer when he gives his life to Christ. And that spirit, the Bible says, is not a spirit that makes you a slave. Jesus doesn't put his spirit in you in order to make you slaves. Oftentimes the believer looks at it like this. Oh, I'm just, I'm barely saved. Oh God, I'm all, they're always under this, con, this, this fear, this fear. The Bible says there's no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. If you're constantly in a state as a believer of fear and this totalitarian reverence to him, always worried if you're going to offend him or set him off in some way, you don't really know that you're loved. That's what that indicates. If you're in this fear of him always, even as a believer, that's an indication that you don't know that you're loved. The Bible says that God didn't give us a spirit in order to make us slaves to fear. He received the spirit in order that we would understand that we are adopted as sons and daughters. So God sets the context of the relationship. Say it with me. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship, Christian. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. A revolution in how we live, a transformation, a complete revolving of our life, a complete transformation of our life. We're sons and daughters. So he sets the terms, the spirit that God gave us. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to magnify your identity in Christ. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The spirit's job in your life is to testify to you that you are a son or a daughter in Christ. The problem is most of the time we don't listen. Holy Spirit's like, you're a son. I'm not a son. I'm just a worm. I'm barely saved. You know, the Spirit of God is testifying of things within your heart, and you're having a hard time accepting that. You're having a hard time dealing with that. And the Bible says that your, His Spirit is in you to testify that you are indeed God's child, and His Spirit is in you to partner with you to bring forth your inheritance, to partner with you to bring forth your destiny. You have an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just save you, he endowed you. Jesus didn't just save you, he commissioned and committed his spirit to you. He didn't commit principles and religion to you, he gave his personhood in the, in the identity of the Holy Spirit. 
And we call God Abba, and we call God Father. So God's Spirit is in us not to enslave us to fear, not to enslave us to religion and rituals and all of these different things. We relate to Him. You're relating to Him this morning. I would hope you would come to church not looking to check a box, but you come to church because you want, a commu you want meaningful communion with the Spirit of God. You come to church because you want meaningful communion with His heart. And you're trying to glean from him and draw from him in this atmosphere something that you can't get any other place. Because if you're amen. Because if you're honest, you can't get it any other place. There's something in the atmosphere. When the spirit is, was, is allowed, when the spirit is invited and the word is brought forth in, in power and in truth, there's something that moves in the atmosphere. And you receive something in, these, in this place that you can't get any other place. So while you're here, you're here because you're I come because my father wants me here. You're like, you're the pastor. My wife wakes me up in the morning. Come on, Kevin, it's time to go to church. I'm like, I don't want to go. Nobody likes me there. She's like, you have to go. You're the pastor. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go. <laughs> I go because of Jesus. I, do, I go because of him. I honor him. I bless him. I serve you because Jesus wants you served. We serve each other, which is what we're supposed to do because Jesus wants us to serve one another. You do it not because of obligation. You certainly don't do it out of need. If, you want to, if you're going to serve out of need, you're going to, be, you're going to drown. There's forever a need. Forever. The poor in spirit, the poor in mind, the poor in economics, the poor you have with you always. People are always going to have a need. So we don't serve out of need. We serve because he wants us to serve each other. That's our motivation. You know? So that's important too. John 10, the, the thief, Jesus is making a statement here. The thief would be the devil, the fallen angel. His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Everybody say this with me. Theology, Theology. 101. Good God, bad devil. Can't get any simpler. If it's being stolen, if it's being killed, or if it's being destroyed, it is not of the Lord. God is not the author of, th of thievery, destruction, all of that. That comes from a fallen angel. We are fallen people in a fallen system. That's what we are. We are sons and daughters. We are of the light. We are no longer of the darkness, but we are in this world, but we're not of it. You understand? We're in a system, but we are not part of that system. Yet that system is still around us. And everything that happens in your life is not the Lord. Well, that happened because God wanted it to happen. No, it didn't. Is it good and perfect? Then it's not from Jesus. Does it involve stealing, killing, and destroying? Then it's not from Jesus. Jesus says that this comes from the devil. This comes from the fallen angel. Broken people, broken choices, broken systems, broken world. Fallen angel. <laughs> My will is that you would have life overflowing and satisfying. What your father does, what, your, what Jesus does, is he breaks into the impossible situation and reverses the effects. That's what he does. That's his specialty. His desire is to lead us from glory to glory, life to life, hope to hope. But what he does is in impossible situations, he breaks in and he'll fix it for you. That's what he does. You say with me, my heavenly father, come on is in the restoration business. It's his specialty. I have a grandson. I kept thinking about him. I guess last night I opened up the drawer. I have a desk. It sounds more elaborate than it is. And I opened up a drawer, and there was a little dinosaur leg in the drawer, right? So he has this, this dinosaur. He loves dinosaurs. And he has this dinosaur that you, you, know, you, you, you screw. Yeah, you put like these plastic bolts or whatever. 
but Rowan's a little young for it. So he just beats the dinosaur on the table and then he'll come out and he'll have like in pieces and he'll go, Grampy, fix it. Grampy, fix it. So I'm looking and I'm like, Grampy, fix it. Okay, I'll fix it. You know, and so I, I fix it to the best of my ability, but inevitably he loses a part. And so the dinosaur is slowly losing its limbs because the screws are gone. So now he has the dinosaur and he's missing one leg and that leg is in my drawer because I couldn't find the he, he couldn't find this. I don't know. We'll probably, it's probably under the couch or I don't know where he threw it, but it's somewhere. But this is how your father is. You beat it to death. You break it in your immaturity and he'll fix it for you. He'll fix it. How many times? 70 times seven in one day. You can keep being the idiot and burning the house down. Say, what if I burn my house down? Well, there's a verse for that. He gives beauty for ashes. Scrape up what you can and offer it to him. And he'll give you something beautiful in place of what you just torched. Who does that? God's not good. Who told you that? He's that good. He's better than you think. Therefore, you must change the way that you think. Your thinking of him is too limited. Your thinking of him is too small. If you don't believe he's that good, you don't know him. He's totally that good. He's not against you in any way. He's for you. He's for you. Your choices, your ignorance, and your arrogance oftentimes put you in those difficult positions. But he's not. It's, a, it's an issue of partnership. We make partnerships with the devil. We inherit that stuff. Doesn't mean you're not saved. You make a choice that's outside of God's covenant or outside of God's communion, and we inherit that. That we we sow that seed. We inherit that. God will turn it around for you. That's not the issue. When you're partnering with the Lord, He produces life and life and life and life and life. Doesn't mean you don't have difficulty. The difference between me having difficulty through my stupid choices is I might fall down and smack my face on the ground. I may suffer some injury, but I won't suffer defeat. The issue with me following the Lord is I may suffer difficulty, but I'm going to go right through it. That's the difference. My choices may make me smack the ground, but God will still pick me up and put me, put me back together. Humpty Dumpty. But if I'm following the Lord, then God doesn't promise that we won't go, that we won't experience difficulty. When you're following Jesus and you're doing what he said, those difficulties may come, but you're going to go through it. You're going to go through it. You will pass through the water and it will not overtake you. You will pass through the fire and you will not be burned. Yes, that's a promise. That's right. I will feed you with the heritage of the nations, those who serve the Lord. I will be a high tower and a shield for you. I will protect you. No evil will befall you. No harm will come upon you. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Walk uprightly is just partnering with him. Right? That's the difference. Jesus said, my, job is to bring, my, my purpose is to bring life overflowing. How do we get the overflowing life? Number one, you've got to surrender to Jesus. If you've not surrendered to Jesus, you don't have access to an overflowing life. Surrendering to Jesus is not intellectual assent. Oh, I believe in Jesus with your head. James says you believe, talking about gnosis, epignosis is experience, gnosis is knowledge. You believe gnosis, you have an intellectual agreement that Jesus is Lord. He said, well, good for you, so do the devils. The demons believe at that level and they tremble. That is not saving knowledge. Saving knowledge is a committed surrender of the heart. That's saving knowledge. When you say, when you commit your heart and you offer your heart to the Lord, he gives himself back to you. Say, how do, I know that how do I know that happened? Something's different. 
right? If you're a believer in here and you can trace your, you know, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. And if you ever question your salvation, go back and say, what happened to me in that moment? What was different from that moment forward? Something changed. Something was different. You stopped cussing, right? Another girl, one girl told me, she said, I could, I could forgive. Really genuine woman came to me one time. She said, I prayed, pastor, what, what, how do I know it's real? I said, I just asked her a simple question. What's different? I said, what's different? Something's different. And she said, I can forgive. I can forgive. I said, was that an issue for you before? She said, yeah. She said, I wanted vengeance on everybody. And then I uh, had another guy say to me, um, guy looked like Rick Ross. Wearing Denny's shades, man, like those Rick Ross shades. He had these like uh, some cool sunglasses, by the way. And uh, so guy looked like Rick Ross. He said to me, he said, I gave my life to Jesus. I prayed what you said, you know. How do I know it's real? I said, what's different? And he said, I can, you know what he said? He said, I can see colors. And big dude, he said, I see colors. I said, you couldn't see colors before? He said, all I saw was concrete and heat. He said, my world was black and white, and he was angry all the time. Now he's like this big teddy bear, you know? He turned into this big teddy bear. Something's different. When Jesus comes into your heart, something changes. Something changes. You're born again. He, you, you know, something doesn't mean everything gets perfect, but there's, there's something, there's a core of being that shifts inside of you. That seed, that kingdom, the Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a very small seed when it's sown. But if it's nurtured and allowed to grow, it becomes the most dominant tree of all. When we receive Jesus, we receive the kingdom like a mustard seed. It's a very small thing. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It seems insignificant, doesn't it? If you really think about it, you're like, that? that? I'm going to be forgiven, brought out of darkness and into light? I'm going to be restored, adopted as a son through that agreement? Yes. <laughs> it's insignificant. It's like a mustard seed, this little tiny thing. Smallest of all seed, but if you'll allow it to grow, it will become dominant. The kingdom will become the dominant force in your life. What a great place to be. When the kingdom of God is the dominant force of your life, come on. Wow, that's powerful. How do we live an overflowing life? It begins with surrendering to Jesus. Nick at night. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It's the first episode of Nick at night right here in John chapter 3. <laughs> he comes to him by night because he's Dr. So-and-so. He doesn't want people knowing he's, he's interested in Jesus. So he has to hide himself because he doesn't want anybody to know that Jesus is around. <laughs> come out of the closet, Nick. And so uh, he comes to Jesus by night and he says, you know, we know you're a teacher come from God for no one can do the things that you do without it. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is like, listen, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said, can, he crawl, can I crawl back inside my mother and be born again? What are you talking about? Here's the problem. He's thinking naturally. He's thinking earthly. This kingdom is not natural. It's supernatural. This kingdom is not earthly. It's spiritual. This kingdom is not human ability. It's power. It comes from another world. Nicodemus's only line of thinking was natural. Born again? What do you mean? These are, Jesus communicates deep, profound truths, eternal truths, truths that literally frame the universe, but they're beyond the natural understanding. I mean, we can kind of frame it sometimes. We can kind of get it. But really what's being transpired is like beyond human understanding. And he's okay with it. And Jesus puts things in such simplistic terms because we're very simple. He has to. I've always asked him that. I'm like, why, you know, okay, Lord, why are you talking like this? Like, Kevin, if I talk any higher than this, 
He has to talk to the lowest level of our being. Sow a seed. Oh, we all understand that. You know, he's not talking to us in calculus terms. He's not talking to us in these, in these extraordinary ways that only a few of us can get. He speaks to us in a way that anybody can get. Anyone can understand. He says, can I be born again? Can I go in my mother's womb and be born? He said, and most assuredly, if you're not born again, you can't see the kingdom. And if you're not born again, you can't enter the kingdom. What's this saying? If you're not born again, you have no ability to even have a concept of this kingdom. When you get born again, you, are, you receive the ability to become aware that, there, that the kingdom exists. To you has been given the ability to know and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To those who receive Christ, we've been given the ability. We get to see or understand that there actually is a kingdom. doesn't mean we know what it means. But as a believer, you have the ability to understand the kingdom. The unbeliever doesn't even have the ability to understand the kingdom. They don't. Let alone enter it. When you get born again, you enter it. If you, if you give your life to Christ, you're in the kingdom. You belong to the kingdom. And you have the ability to understand it. We preach kingdom gospel. We preach kingdom. What is, come on. What does Jesus talk about all the time? Kingdom, 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 kingdom. Read how many times he uses the word kingdom. We proclaim the kingdom of God. The ruling, reigning power of God. The access to your inheritance, the fundamentals of who you are, sons and daughters, part of a kingdom, kings and priests to our God, kings, queens and priests, part of a kingdom to you are. Aren't you glad you have an inheritance through and in the kingdom? Happy day. It begins with surrendering to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm here to bring forth the children my father has given me. Since these children have physical bodies, Jesus himself became like them. Jesus came to bring many sons and daughters unto righteousness. In order to do that, he had to become like us. He became like us so that we could return and be like him. It's the whole thing that's going on is we're being conformed into the nature of Jesus. Doesn't mean we're all looking like Jesus, but we're taking on the nature of Jesus. Generosity, hope, faith, courage, life, right? That's what we're, we, 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 the, that nature begins to grow inside of us. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is manifesting the nature. One of the things he's doing is manifesting the nature of God within us. Jesus had to give himself for us that he could destroy the power of death that is the devil. If you don't have Christ in your heart and you've not given your life to Jesus, you are under the power of the devil. Period. Plain and simple. People say, why? Period. Thank you. People say, I don't believe that. Your belief does not determine truth. Belief systems do not determine truth. I don't believe that that's the case. Therefore, it's not true. Who told you that? I use the example, go up on the top of a building and jump and say, I don't believe in gravity and jump. Gravity exists whether you believe in it or not. Truth is truth whether you believe in it or not. There's light and darkness. Jesus came to die for us because Adam gave away the farm. Adam gave away the whole human race. <laughs> We're all descendants of Adam. We flow from the federal fountainhead. The human race flows. All of the rivers and streams of humanity flow from a common source. Adam. Iniquity is in the bloodline. That's what iniquity is. Different types of sin. One of the types of sin is iniquity. Iniquity is something that's transferred in generations or transferred through the bloodline. We all carry iniquity. We're born sinners by the fact that we're born of Adam. You don't have to do anything. You're already born separated from God. We have the blood of Adam in us. 
Therefore, we need the blood of Jesus. Exactly. Born not of the first Adam, but born of the last Adam. That's actually a title Jesus uses. He came as the last Adam to do what? To create a new federal head. That all who come in Christ are born not of Adam, but born of him. We're born not of corruptible blood. We're born of pure blood, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. That's what it means to be born again. You have to be born again because you're born of Adam. If you're not born again, you're lost. Born again. I'm born of Jesus. I'm not born of Adam. I'm not born of my earthly ancestors. I have no, no association with my earthly ancestors at all. That happens spiritually, but I make sure I manifest that physically. I make a declaration. I have no association with my earthly ancestors at all. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven. <laughs> and I deny all other statements to the contrary. My blood flows from heaven. My identity flows from heaven. My inheritance flows from heaven. My destiny flows from heaven. I'm born not of this earth. I'm born of the spirit. And so are you if you're in Christ. You just have to make a determination. That's a spiritual truth. And you have to take and make that spiritual truth an earthly reality by agreeing with it and living from it. You're, the earth, the spiritual truth becomes an earthly reality when you identify with it. When you begin to agree and live from that place. You're going to be a born-again son of the highest. The heir is no different than a slave, though they are masters of all, so long as they are a child, but as under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. You're heirs, but you're no different than slaves because you're immature. Immature in your thinking, immature in your concepts, immature in your lifestyle. You're an heir to all. But the Bible says you are no different than a slave because you continue to live in immaturity. So stewards and guardians are around you, buffering you from the things that belong to you because you're too immature to handle it. <gasps> no. Yes. The heir, so long as they are a child, is no different than a slave, though they are masters of all. What is mature thinking? I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. What is mature thinking? I don't, my life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives within me and the life that I live, I live unto him. That's mature thinking. And until you come to that place, you're under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the father. You have an inheritance all over you, but you can't access it. You can't access it because there's legal authority denying it to you, even though legal authority tells you you can have it. It's true. You begin to manifest the spiritual truth into an earthly reality when you begin to align with it and develop yourself. So it's this concept that everything happens by default. This is nonsense. It produces weakness within the believer. It produces weakness within the church. You have to participate in this gospel, Christian. You have to line your life up with his. You have to live in him and through him. It's not like rah, 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 yippee yow, yippee yay. You know, it's not all this rah, rah stuff. That's all great. Rah-rah gives me an adrenaline rush, but rah-rah doesn't cause me to grow. Meat causes me to grow. Weight causes me to grow. Truth causes me to grow. Challenge causes me to grow. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. Yeah. Yeah, the weakness of the last day church, we heap up for us teachers that will teach us what we want to hear. Oh, God's just going to do it for you. <laughs> Tickle you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to partner. You don't, you know, well, that's God's will in your life. That's that. Oh, you lost everything. That's God's will. Tickle, tickle, tickle. Don't worry. God's for you. God is for you. He will take care of you. You don't ever have to say it with me. I don't have to worry about survival. But exactly. He's going to take care of survival. Survival is all but guaranteed to the Christian. 
If you've been saved more than five years, you can look at your life and you can see how many times Jesus delivered you. Yeah, survival. You didn't go over the mountain, but you got delivered, right? You had a care package fall out of nowhere and it got you through. He guarantees, he obligates himself to you for at survival. You are, uh, he obligates that. Yeah, but he doesn't obligate himself to destiny. You have to want it. Kalesios is the word. It's an invitation. You have to accept the invitation to higher things or stay where you are. <laughs> That's the issue. I don't want to stay where I am. If there's, if there's more, I want more. Right? If there's something that can come forth from my life with and in him, I want that. Why would I want common when I'm called to be exceptional? Yet we settle for common and we call common exceptional. <laughs> We call what is common exceptional. It's not true. It's not true at all. Jesus became like us in order that we could be like him. We have to be born again. What's the benefits of the overflowing life? So we get the overflowing life in Christ. What are the benefits of that? Forgiveness of sins and adoptions as sons and daughters. Happy day. Happy day. Somebody came to you and said, hey, one of your relatives passed away or whatever. They left you an inheritance. Would you, would you, and, and you, but you had to do certain things. You had to get on a bus and travel across the country and, you know, whatever. You had to do something that inconvenienced you. Would you do it? Of course you would. Of course you would. What if I told you Jesus has given you an eternal inheritance, but it requires you to become aware of it and live from it, live from the identity into the inheritance? Oh, we can't do that. Oh, I can't do that, Pastor. That's too much for me. He's given you an inheritance, and it's in his name you are lived, you were adopted as a son and daughter. You say it with me, I am loved extravagantly. You are loved extravagantly. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. People say, I gotta love God more. No, you need to know how much he loves you. You need to understand what love actually is in the context of the scripture, and you need to understand exactly how much he loves you. Love is to seek the highest good. So when God says he's loved you, he is constantly looking over your life to benefit and bless you. That's his love for you. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you as a hen does its chicks. I wanted to brood over you, but you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. <laughs> he, when God loves you, he's not having an emotional experience. He's not up there thinking, what he, if you have a good hair day, he's like, oh, I love you so much today. Your hair looks so amazing. Oh, I love you so much. I saw you turn that Jay-Z song off. And when you turn that Jay-Z song off, oh, I just loved you so much more. Oh, oh, I saw you putting that Jesus bumper sticker on your car and oh, oh, my love for you just abounded when you did that. He's not having an emotional experience. He said love in the scripture is intent. It's not feeling, it's intent. When you understand that his intentions for you are only good and high, he wants more for you than you could ever possibly want for yourself. He made you to function at a high level. You are made to function at a high level. Now, that, that high level is relative to how he made you. But nonetheless, you are made to function at a maximum capacity. You are made to make an impact. You're made that way. That's how he made you. So forgiveness of sins, sons and daughters, loved extravagantly. God demonstrated his love for us, for Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He didn't send a note saying, hey, I love you. He didn't send you a Valentine's card. It's best wishes, Jesus. <laughs> 
just letting you know I love you. No, he demonstrated it. He came. He gave himself. How much does Jesus love me? Jesus said, I love you this much. He stretched out his arms and he died. He would rather die for you than live without you. That's how much you're loved. That's how much you're loved. Say it with me. He would rather die for me than live without me. That's right. He would rather die for you than live without you. He died to give you an opportunity to return to him. That's what he did. That's the whole point. And you return to him, and now he gives you an opportunity to go higher. He gives you an opportunity to live a different life, to go further. Not just be saved. God help us. God help us. We settle, we settle for being saved. I'm saved. Now what do I do with the rest of my life? I'm born again. Now what? Right? So much more. <laughs> May you be able to experience Ephesians 3.18, experience the love of God. Everybody say it with me. And understand how long, how wide, how deep, and how, how high. It's love in 4K, love in four dimensions right here. God loves you so much. How, high, how long is God's love? Long in us to last forever. He doesn't retract his love. You can't stop him from loving you. He doesn't withdraw his love for you. You're going to try to get God to stop loving you. You can't make him stop loving you because you didn't do anything to make him love you. He decided to love you. He set his affections on you. Well, I'm going to make him not love me. What are you going to do? You're going to be a sinner? He's already seen that. And he loved you that just the same. He sets his intention and his love upon you. The highest good is set over your life. That's what love is. And when you understand how much he loves me, that nothing God, everything God wants for me is better than I can imagine. Listen, I've played the game thinking I've had a better plan. I got a better plan. Jesus says he wants something for me, but I, I think my plan's better. I've played that game. And you know what I do? I always end up losing. And I can keep wasting my time and wasting my life thinking I've got a better plan. But I'm spending time that I can't get back. He's got a better plan. He's got a better purpose. How wide is Jesus' love? Wide enough to go with you anywhere. There's nowhere you can go. He's going to find you. He'll find you. He'll bless you. How many times I've been blessed? I was in Germany living and living, not living. Everything that I'd raised, I was raised, you know, very strictly when I came, became a Christian. It was a spirit-filled church, but it was like, whoop, stand up straight, whoop, hair, hair, and tight, whoop, two, three, four, whoop. Two, three, four, we are the army of the Lord. Anybody know those songs? Yeah, that's what kind of church I was raised in when I became a Christian. Real high and tight. Jacket got too small for me. <coughs> Felt like I was suffocating. I'm in Germany, over there with a bunch of German Christians. <laughs> Going out after Bible study and drinking beer. What? <laughs> it wasn't in my context. Come on, Kevin. It was a spiritual experience. Ein Mas Bitter in the Bayer Garden. Everybody's just drinking a beer, having no oh, talking about Jesus. Very Martin Luther style. Rattlers. I went into a Rattler. Anybody know what a Rattler is? Anybody ever had a Rattler? It's more, we call it like maybe a shanty. It's half lemonade, half beer. Yeah, I'd kind of go, okay, well, I culturally can't be accepted here, so I guess I, I, I truly want to drink beer. But if any of my religious friends see me drinking beer, well, then I'll just say, I'm having a Rattler. I'm not really having a, you know, a Pilsner. I'm having, a, you know, so I would get the half lemonade, half beer one. Anyway, another story. God blessed me so much in that time, and I wasn't doing anything my religious training told me. None of it. 
And I said, why are you blessing me? He said, I'm not that kind of father to you. I don't bless you based upon that. Again, he's taking care of me. It was not my destiny to be in that place. I was being taken care of, but I, would, I, didn't, I couldn't get to my destiny because I was outside of what he wanted, but he would still take care of me. You understand? And it shifted me. This whole thing like, oh, God won't take care of you if you don't do what he says. Are you kidding me? He'll take care of you even if you don't do what he says. This isn't destiny. This is why we have to differentiate this because it's two different things. God taking care of you, even if you're just a complete whatever, you just want to blow it up all the time. He'll take care of you. You don't have to worry about that. That's how good he is. When you realize that God loves you and he's going to take care of me, even though I'm not doing everything, I'm like, who is this God that I don't understand? Who is this father that I do not know? Who is this God that is beyond my comprehension and beyond my understanding? I was taught the wrong things. I was taught the wrong things. You say, Jesus is that good? Absolutely. He's better than you think. Therefore, change the way that you think. That's right. How deep is his love? The deep enough to go to the lowest despair. I don't care how low you go, his love can pick you up. You say, I don't know how to get out. Jesus does. I don't know how to get up. Jesus does. I don't know what to do. Jesus does. Love is seeking the highest good. He will go to the depth of the despair to lift you up. That's how deep it is. You can't go low enough. David said, if I descend to Sheol itself, the lowest parts of the earth, you are there. His love is there. How high? High enough to overlook your faults. When you come to Christ, he doesn't see your sin anymore. That's it. He doesn't even judge you in light of your sin. He doesn't look at you in light of your sin. When God, when you deal with the Lord as a Christian, even if you're, if you're sinning, he's looking at you going, are you tired of that, Kevin? Are you tired of that? No, nah, Lord, just a little more. Okay, okay, we're good. And then he'll come back and he'll go, are you tired of it yet? No, Lord, just a little more. He doesn't judge me. He doesn't come down on me. He doesn't condemn me. He'll call me higher. He'll tell me this isn't what you're made for. This isn't your purpose. This isn't your destiny. You're a son. Why do you sell yourself as a slave? You're a son. Why do you live below your identity? Why do you live beneath who you are? But I'm free to choose that. Even though I'm still a son to him, he doesn't judge me in light of my actions. This is radical stuff. This is radical. Church doesn't teach this. It's not a tolerance for sin. God's not, you know, you reap what you sow. You're going to go and do that stupid stuff. Well, of course, you're going to get consequences, but God's not judging you. He's not judging you. You're reaping what you're sowing, right? You're going to go and blow your brains, you know, part of your brains out and not show up to work on Monday and Tuesday and then wonder why you lost your job. Oh, God took my job away because I was drinking on the weekends. No, you lost your job because you were too hammered to show up for work for two days. And then when you showed up, you showed up late and you couldn't keep it together and do your work. Jesus didn't have to do anything. You're your own worst. You're your own enemy. The list could go on. <laughs> Low enough to go further. High enough to look, overlook, your, overlook your faults. Third benefit of an overflowing life. George, Jesus is going to take care of you. This is what I've been talking about. God will meet. Say it with me. He will meet. Oh, come on. He will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. He's going to take care of your needs. Needs and wants are two different things, aren't they? Right? We need shelter, but we want a nice house. We need, we need transportation, but we want a car and not a bicycle. Right? He'll take care of your needs. <laughs> 
wants are a different level. He obligates himself to, the, to your needs. That's, what he, that's survival. Success and significance are different worlds. He obligates himself to you as Adonai. This means Lord. Lord. Say it with me. Jesus does not lord over me in his lordship. His lordship is not lorded over you. He lord, his lordship is, is to serve you. He serves you as Adonai. He's a, he's a benefactor. So as your Lord, as your Adonai, he is looking to benefit you. He's looking to, to, to straighten your life out into his plans and purposes. That's what he's seeking. He's not lording over you. He's not dominating over you. That's not what he does. He's your El Shaddai. He obligates himself to you as El Shaddai. He's all sufficient. You're not sufficient. He is. You're not. You don't know how to face the day. He's sufficient. Ready? 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 You don't know how to do marriage. All the married people in here. This is a, this is a big one, right? Most single people are like, I can't wait to get married so that I can live happily ever after. We're going to live happily ever after. And it's going to be roses and, you know, sex on the weekends. It's going to be great. Right. <laughs> One thing that will make you disciple more of a disciple is marriage. You meet Jesus at ground zero. You think you got it together? Get married. You're going to realize you don't. You think you're patient? Get married. You're going to realize you're not. Right? You think you're wholesome? You're not. You're not Pollyanna and you're not Paul Bunyan. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not heroes. We get to get in these relationships and it's like you wear out your pants going, help. Help, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me. Good God, help me. Help me, Jesus. I don't know if I'm going to survive. <laughs> And he is sufficient. He's sufficient for my marriage. I'm not. I'm not. Huh? Anybody that's known the strain of a, of, a, of a living relationship knows exactly what I'm talking about. You're not sufficient. He is. This is why it's important that believers marry believers. Because, and, and I'm not talking about, he, oh, he said he's a Christian. We're, I'm talking about where she said she's a Christian. Believers that are committed to the Lord, it's, it's, the reason is, is because they now have accountability to the Lord. You understand? An unbeliever has no such accountability. A believer is, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't have a choice here. You're commanded to love that woman as Christ loved his church. You're going to go, it's impossible. Yeah. You don't have the sufficiency he does. You were commanded to honor that man and esteem him to the, to the same thing, like benefactor. When he, Abraham called Lord, like she, you are to be a benefactor to him. You are to benefit him in every way. He doesn't deserve it. It's not in me to do that. It's not in me. Well, you're not sufficient. He is. It's, it's an ego. It's a death of ego. Marriage requires the death of ego. You think you, you, think you lost your ego? No, no. There's no such thing as ego. E ego in marriage is the, is the dong, is the death toll. It's just, it just is. It's ego. It's, it's a communal relationship. It's one to the other. You know, submit ye one to the other. That's what marriage is. The wife and the husband have complementarian roles. This is true. They don't compete. They complement. But in the same time, they're to submit one to the other. I don't, listen, I, I don't know about y'all. I mean, is there any men in the room? My wife wants to paint the house uh, Chantilly lace tan. She, she's going to get that house painted Chantilly lace tan. <laughs> I've tried. 
I have tried. <laughs> it doesn't. Where I'm like, okay. Chantilly lace tan looks good to me. Let's go with that. It sounds fine. I like blue. I'm the man. This thing's going to be blue. <laughs> Does it really matter if the house is blue, Kevin? Does it really matter? No, not really. Is your marriage a little more important than the color of the walls? Yes, it is. Then serve her and honor her. Amen. Jesus is going to take care of you. What a blessing. He's got a purpose for your life. That's the overflowing blessing. God has a purpose for you. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. That word works is a Greek word called ergon, and it means energy or exertion through you. God created you for something good to be moved through your life. He created you. Come on. You get it. He created you for good works. That doesn't mean I'm fixing cars and houses. That's all great. That's a good work. Helping people is a good work. But what he's talking about is I created you to place something in you that I might move it through you. Something good. That my goodness would come through you. That's what that word ergon means. From, it's again, it's that same idea, that inside out concept. That that would come, that ergon, that exertion would come from within you. That's what he's saying. Paul says, I, I press toward the mark of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Ready? You all have to say, I have a calling. Right. So there's two words on this. There's kaleo, which means commanded to come forth. You're summoned. Kaleo. Lord says, come to me. Kaleo. We, it's a king's summons. At kaleo. The church is in at kaleo, in case you didn't know that. We're commanded to come before him. What you're doing here this morning is a kaleo. He doesn't ask you and he doesn't invite you. Church is a kaleo. He are commanded to come before your father. We're commanded to assemble. That's a, that's, that's here. What this calling is klesios. Klesios is the same thing as kaleo, or it's, it's in the same root family, but klesios means invitation. In other words, let's press on to the upward calling. Let's press into the upward invitation. In other words, you don't have to. He's not going to make you. He's not going to make you pursue your calling. He's not going to make you go to higher things. He's not going to make you. You can stay just the same. But Paul is saying, if you're mature, you will understand that the Lord has invited you higher. Let many, let all who have this, this mature, let all who are mature have this mind. That's what he's saying. If you're mature, understand that Jesus has a higher invitation for your life. He's inviting you higher. Right? It's not kaleo, it's klesios. You're invited. You don't have to, you get to. Yeah? It's like, you want to come higher? Come on up. You want to go further? Come on up. You're invited. But you can stay the same. Say it. I'm free to, I'm free to go higher. I'm free to go high. Or I'm free to stay the same. <laughs> you can stay the same. You'll be in good company. A lot of people stay the same. We call mediocrity exceptional in our generation. We got to go higher. We got to go further. Yes. We have a purpose. We have a calling. Everybody does. You have a kaleo. You have a summons on your life. And you have a kaleo into that summons. God has commanded something over you. He's commanded this over Ricky's life. He commands it. I command this over his life. And he says, Ricky, do you want to be a part of it? So the command is over you. I command this over Maribel's life. I command it. So there's a command. And he says, Maribel, do you want to walk in that? So he commands the kaleo over your life, but he invites you into the command. 
He takes authority over all of time and space and says, this is what will be. This is what shall be. And he will manifest some form of that kaleo if you will answer the klesios. If you will answer the invitation. You get me? Deep stuff, Christian. Amen. Jesus has a purpose for your mistakes and failures. Aren't you glad? I've made a mistake. When you're walking in God's purposes, he'll turn it all around. He'll turn it all around. That's so good, man. He'll turn it all around. That's why I don't understand. You know, like I wasted time. Anybody here with me? I don't know if you all are here. If if you've not walked with Jesus any length of time, let me help you. Let me save you a couple of years. I did stupid stuff and did stupid things and had stupid teaching and stupid mentality and I withdrew myself from the things of God for a period of time because of the stupid teaching and the stupid thinking that I had. Only to come back around after squandering years that I can't get back to understand that I didn't have to go anywhere. (laughs) Right? Drives us from his presence with our guilt and shame. Drives us from his presence with religious standards that God does not place upon his people. He doesn't place that standard on you. Don't you care about holiness, Pastor? More than you know. But I know there's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. So we may as well give up on holiness if we don't have the Holy Spirit. So what do I preach? Partner with the Holy Spirit. Why do I preach that? Because then you're going to make holiness. You're going to have the purity. Holiness just means purity. Purity of purpose. Purity of intent. Purity of presence. That's what it means. It doesn't mean a purified life. God help us. God help us. It's impossible. It's impossible. But in Christ, you can walk in that level of purity. You can walk in the purity of love with him. You can walk in the purity of purpose with him. You can work in the purity of circumstances, the purity of faith. That's holiness. Holiness isn't this religious construct. Don't smoke, drink, or chew. Ladies, no makeup and wear, grow your hair long and wear wagon train dresses. Guys, wear choking collars and cut your hair high and tight and make sure you put the brill cream in. Right? That's not, that's not holiness. Outward externals is not holiness. Mm-mm. It's not. Lastly, overflowing benefit. Life's eternal. Come on. It is eternal. Say it with me. I am. Come on. I am immortal. You are immortal. You are not going to die. Do you understand that? Say, my body's going to die. And the Bible says it's like folding up a tent. That's what Paul said. The death of the body is like packing up a tent. You're moving from a tent to a palace. You're moving from a tent to a mansion. My body's going to fold up the tent, man. The older you get, the more holes are in that tent, you know. Cord doesn't hold, you know. Wind, you know, it's not the same as it used to be. Right? Your life is eternal. The eternalness of life is to free us to live for him in the now. You cannot fail. You cannot fail. You are free to live boldly and valiantly and courageously and beautifully and wonderfully and artistically and gloriously in and through and with him because you cannot fail and your life is eternal. You cannot disqualify yourself because you did not qualify you. 
How can you disqualify you when you did nothing to qualify you? Jesus qualified you. He said, if you do this, then you're qualified. Okay. You didn't do anything except listen to what he said. You can't disqualify yourself. Life's eternal. Jesus has come to break the power of death and the fear of those who are enslaved to the fear of dying. In a world today where everybody's afraid, we might die. We might die. Aren't you afraid of the Delta, Pastor? I'm saying, I have the Alpha and the Omega. Why would I fear a Delta? <laughs> Aren't you afraid of dying? If to live is Christ, to die is gain. I win the grand prize. I get the new car, right? It's the Monty Hall. I do, or what is it? Uh, price is right. A new car. You get door number seven. You get the, you get the whole shebang, man. We have life eternal. How beautiful. How beautiful. Look around. Do you know why? Because we're going be, to see each other in some realm and some dimension eternally. Yeah? Yeah? We need to have stories of our generation. We need to have stories of the wonderful works that Jesus did. Anybody, when I, I don't know about you, I'm not sitting around listening to Paul. Oh, yeah, man, when that blind guy saw, I'm going to go, boom, we had the dead healed too, Paul. What? The lame walked. I'm going to go, we had the lame walk too, Paul. I traveled nations. We planted churches in nations too, Paul. You can give up your bragging rights. I'm not giving up mine. As for me, I'm not going to sit around and listen to those guys talk. And everybody, every generation previous to this one brag about the exploits that they did in Jesus. What will be done in secret will be heralded from the housetops. Don't you want him heralding? <laughs> Here comes Elevate Miami Church. Powerful. Faithful, truthful, denying not his name, bringing glory and honor in all ways. Many things being said, proclaimed over us corporately, proclaimed over us individually. Yeah? 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 It's obedience that measures. It's not numbers that measure, Christian. It's not successes the world sees that measures. It's doing what he told you to do is that is what measures. That is what entitles you for the world to come. This is, you're being groomed for rulership in an eternal world. You're being groomed. Your level of faithfulness in this world determines what will be committed to you in the world to come. Parable of the talents, it's all over the place. Your faithfulness to your job, to your work, whatever it is, it's determined by faithfulness. If you cannot be faithful with little you cannot be faithful in a fallen world, how will you be faithful in my eternal world? He wants to reward you. You're all going to be taken care of. Everybody in the, the eternal kingdom will have survival. You know that. Everybody's going to survive. You're all going to get a fig tree. You're all going to have a nice mansion. Probably have a swimming pool in the back, you know. You have some cool things going on, right? There'll be some cool stuff, but there will be also levels of influence in that kingdom. Not everybody's going to get equal measure. All will receive equal in, in reward, but not all will be given equal measure. That's a, different, that's a different world entirely. What you do with him is what you receive. What you do for him is what you receive. And it's measured by the faithfulness of what he has told you or called you unto. That's what it's all about. It's not esteemed. What is esteemed of men is despised of the Lord. 
Men esteem glamour and vanity. The Lord esteems faithfulness and trust. Right? That's, that's the evidence. That's what I want. Don't you? You should want it. You should desire it. Earnestly desire the best gifts. Let's have it. Let's have it. Jesus is doling out kingdoms. Well, sign me up. What do I got to do? <laughs> Read the parable of the talents. Make him master over ten cities. Make him master over five cities. Masters over ten cities. Pa Thomas got it. He said, let us die with him that we may what? Reign with him. Let's go with him and let's die with him in order that we would reign with him. He understood it. They said that there are many that didn't love their lives unto death because they were seeking a greater what? Resurrection. Like, bid the lions to come, man. There's a reward for getting torn apart by Jesus. Somebody get some A1 over here, man. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> That's the attitude and the mindset of the early church. I told you the story. This guy that was in communist Russia... Communists are bad people, man. I'll tell you, unbelievably bad. 140 million people killed in the last probably 50, uh, since 1919, communism has murdered almost 139 million people worldwide. Wicked people, evil system, demonic to the core. They're killing them across our bay. They're killing them in Cuba, right? Shooting them in the street. It's just nuts. It's insane. There's a story of this Russian family that they were pastor. They were going to kill him because he was pastor in Russia back in the Cold War. And they, they were going to, they lined him up. They packed the truck up. They put nooses around the necks of his children. They were going to be, they were going to hang the pastor, but they're going to hang his kids, his wife and kids first. And he said, you know, he just told them, look, just deny Jesus. And we're going to let your family go. We're probably going to hang you, but we'll let your family go if you deny Jesus. You know what his words were? He looked at his children and he said, I will be with you shortly. Where are you? Are you, I will be with you shortly? <laughs> Come on. That's the fire this generation needs. That's the passion this generation needs. That's what changes worlds, people. That's what changes worlds. That's what I want. That's what I know you want. Do you know why? Because you have the spirit that burns inside of you. You have a traitor that wants to deny and preserve your life, and you have the Holy Spirit who wants to give it away and spend it justly. And the traitor of yourself wants to say, no, keep it, hold back, save your life, preserve it. That's Judas. Kill the Judas. Free the spirit. <laughs> Number one fear is death. We're all going to die. It's inevitable. One out of every one people die. Only a fool would go through life unprepared for something that is inevitable. My question to you today is not whether or not you will die. My question is, is do you know where you're going when you die? The Bible says that if you don't know Jesus, you're under the power of the, of the devil, under the sway of the evil one. Man is not judged, but sin is. And so long as man is under sin, he is under judgment. When you receive Christ, you come out from under sin and you come into Christ. And the Bible says when that happens, there is no, therefore no longer any condemnation. You are accepted in the beloved. You're adopted. Belief does not determine truth. People say, I don't believe it. Your belief system doesn't determine what is true. 
Your works cannot save you. You must be born again. Every human being has a sin problem. We're all going to die, and we're all born sinners, and we have to be born again. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the penalty, or with the reward of living a life under sin and refusing to come out from under sin and into Christ, the penalty for that is separation eternally. But the gift that God offers in light of that is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible says this, if you believe in your heart and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. You have to open your heart and you have to believe, not with your head, but with your heart. The things of the spirit don't make very much sense at all to the head. It doesn't make sense at all, but it makes sense to the heart. You can believe and not understand, and that's what Jesus asks for. And at the end of the day, if the Bible says if you neglect so great a salvation, there, rem there remains no, uh, no uh, provision for sin. When, when we reject Jesus, the scripture says, you treat the blood of the cross as a common thing and you trample him underfoot. And when you stand before the Lord, Jesus asks us to pray a simple prayer. He asks us to open our heart to him and give him 40 seconds of our life in prayer. And the people that are, it's so simple. He's done the heavy work. That's why when people don't, when man is without excuse, if they stand before the Lord having not prayed a 40-second prayer, you can't pray a 40-second prayer. You can't lower your heart, open your heart for 45, 40 seconds of your life and receive Jesus as Lord. We're without excuse. But God gives you an opportunity this morning. This church is going to pray with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus or you're not quite sure you did or you want to make sure that you're going to or you want to make sure that all this stuff is right, then you just pray with us. I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to. Believe without understanding. It's perfectly acceptable. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you open your heart, I'll come in. I'll do what I said I'll do. But you have to do and partner with him. So we're going to pray. And if that's you, I want you to pray with us. And so let's just pray together. Let's say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We celebrate you if you prayed that prayer. We're very honored to have, be able to the opportunity. We want to bless you. We're going to take communion here at Elevate. We want you to know that God loves you and we love you. And we want you to have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name, amen.